far more than we can ask or imagine. God is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. That is an incredible thought. I hope that thought fills you with wonder this morning. God is able, he has the power to do more than we can ask or imagine, and he has the inclination to do those things. This is a beautiful place for Drew and our sung worship team to take us this morning to begin our time in worship. Why? Well, how does this sort of powerful action work itself out? Many of us are hungry for that, and yet sometimes we don't see that in the world around us. So how and when does God work this sort of thing out? This morning, we're going to consider one of the means by which God acts in this powerful, more than we can ask, more than we can imagine sort of way. And that's through a particular form of prayer. We're finishing our series. Uh, This is the fourth week of Praying Together, where we've considered uh, what are often called the four uh, big forms of prayer that happen when we gather together. We started this series by uh, considering that we are to be a people who repent together in prayer. And then we move to hungering and thirsting for God in prayer, offering thanksgiving to God in prayer. In this final week this morning, we're going to consider that when the church gathers as an us, when we come together whether that be in smaller groups or larger groups like we're in right now, we are to be a people who petition God together in prayer. We're to ask God to act in prayer. We're to make our requests known to God in prayer. We want to consider this idea of petitioning God in prayer from the word because this is one of the key ways that he acts in this world. That he demonstrates himself as able and inclined to do more than we can ask or imagine. So we have a pretty simple roadmap of where we're going to be this morning. First, what is the expectation for God's people, the church? What expectation has been placed on us as an us in prayer? And then second, what happens when we embrace and live out that expectation? What benefits are there in embracing this expectation? What are the consequences of embracing this expectation? So that's where we're going to be, pretty simple. Uh, Hopefully we'll see these things from the word and be built up. Let's pray to that end. Father, We thank you for gathering us together this morning, this specific group of people. And Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name, you would work mightily to cause us to worship Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith and that you would apply this word to our hearts so that worship might abound and that we might cherish Jesus more than when we walked in this morning. We offer you this time as an act of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the expectation that God has placed upon us as 
the church where prayer is concerned. We are to be a people who ask together in Jesus' name. We're to ask together in Jesus' name. John 14, verses 12 and 14. Read along with me. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, in these verses, we have a truly remarkable claim. Jesus tells his disciples that whoever believes in him, Whoever believes in him. So presumably that includes most of the people in this room. People who have believed in Jesus' name. Who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation. That means us. Whoever has believed in Jesus will do what he did and even do greater works than him. If you're familiar with the Gospels, then you know that this is quite the claim. What what did Jesus do in his life and ministry as recorded in the Gospels? Well, he multiplied bread and fish in order to feed thousands of people. He healed. He restored. He changed water into wine. He literally raised his friend from the dead. Just in that, that's quite a list. And the book of John actually ends by telling us that Jesus did so much that it could fill all the books of the world and there still wouldn't be enough to talk about what he did. And yet here we see that we somehow are to do what Jesus did and even do greater things. How can this be possible? How can this in fact be the case? Well, John 14 says that this is the case because Jesus is going to the Father. This point in the book of John, Jesus is speeding ahead towards the cross. His his face is set towards the cross. And so all the action is, is moving towards the cross. And now Jesus is beginning to care for his disciples, for his friends, by teaching them about where he is going, the cross. And he's preparing them because the cross is ultimately going to take him away from these dear friends. And so he wants them to know that this is coming This is an inevitability. And so be prepared. Well, his disciples, I think, understandably, are shaken by this. They've put their eggs in Jesus' basket. They've dropped their nets and followed after him. They have laid down their life for the cause of Christ. They think he's the one who's ushering in the kingdom. They're they're buying into the various things that he's doing. They're dying to themselves and they're figuring it out. And now he's saying, and I'm going away. I'm not going to be here anymore. And so they're troubled. They're concerned. And Jesus' message to them is a consistent message. It's better for me to go away. It's better for me to go away. You want me to go away. 
Well, John 14, verses 12 and 14 tell us one reason why it is actually better for Jesus to go away. Why? Because whoever believes in Jesus will do what he does. And even greater things than these will he do. But how does that make sense? What sort of logic is being applied there? How can we do greater things than Jesus raising people from the dead or multiplying food or turning water into wine? I don't know anybody who's done any of those things. So what's happening here? Verses 13 and 14 tell us. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, this, this is how we'll do what Jesus did. This is how we'll do greater things than what Jesus did. Jesus isn't saying that that my story is coming to an end. This chapter is closing and now we're going into the chapter where where you pick up my slack and you take over for me and you're going to just do greater things as I kind of laid a foundation. No, what Jesus is saying is, is, The story continues. I'm going to continue being me. I'm going to continue doing my work. I'm going to continue establishing the church and building the church. I'm going to restore, renew. I'm going to save. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to heal. I'm going to usher in my kingdom. And how will Jesus do this? He's going to do it through the gathered church making its requests known to the Father in Jesus' name. Asking things of the Father in Jesus' name. This is one of the key means by which God will act. Because Jesus goes away. Because Jesus dies his death upon the cross and is raised to life, and ascends to glory at the right hand of the Father, we can now confidently go before the Father in the name of the Son and in the power of the Spirit, and we can make our requests known, knowing that God will act in such a way that is beyond what we can ask or even imagine. And now... This is the expectation for the church. The expectation for the church, this side of the cross, is that we would now take this gospel story and all that it enables and that we would become a people who make our requests known to the Father in Jesus' name. This is certainly something that happens at an individual level. We certainly go to God in prayer, in our prayer closets. We, we bend our knee at the foot of our bed and we pray for our families. We pray for our lives. We pray for what's happening in the world around us. That is certainly something that happens and God is pleased to hear and answer and respond to those individual prayers. But the expectation more properly here laid out in John 14 and throughout the Bible is that the people of God would not merely pray as individuals, as important as that is, but that we would be a people who pray together, who pray corporately, who pray as an us. Verses 13 and 14, I think, make this awfully clear if we have eyes to see. 
you'll notice the verbs you ask in verses 13 and 14. Those aren't singular verbs. That's not saying you, Mike, ask. That's not saying you, Randy, ask. That's saying you all ask. That's second person plural. That means that it is being addressed to you all, to us. In the South, we have a great word for this. It's called y'all. So when, when John is speaking here in John 14, or when Jesus is speaking, he's saying, y'all pray. Y'all pray in, the name, in my name, and I will answer, and I will do it. Y'all ask. And so it's certainly true that God hears and answers our individual prayers, but what Jesus is saying here is that when the people of God gather, when the church gathers and prays and asks in his name, then he will do what is asked of him. I want to fly over a few passages in scripture that say this same sort of thing. And as we do so, one, I hope that this just gets impressed upon you. This is all throughout the New Testament, even the Bible, that God's people are called to pray together, making their requests known to the Father. But two, just in these few places that I want to fly over, I'd like for us to see what types of prayers are being prayed. Should we just pray for whatever we want in Jesus' name with an assurance that he's going to grant us health, wealth, and prosperity? Or are there particular types of things that we're instructed to pray? Just a clue, there is. So, Acts 2. Acts 2 is known uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to fly over these. Acts 2 is known uh, primarily by many as the place where the Spirit is poured out on the church. And the Spirit manifests itself in this beautiful way that results in many coming to know the Lord. But what led to this pouring out of the Spirit? Where do we see the church in the beginning of Acts 2? Gathered together, patiently waiting and praying for the promised Spirit to come. They're gathered together and they're praying for the spirit to come and manifest itself in a miraculous way. Acts 12. In Acts 12, James is killed and Peter is in prison and is set to be killed. It's a tumultuous, chaotic, scary time for the church. Its leadership is in disarray. And so what is the church to do? Well, the church prayed. And made its request known to the Lord. And so Acts 12 verse 5, we see the church gathers together. An earnest prayer was made for him, for Peter, by the church. And sure enough, God answered that prayer. And he delivered Peter who went on to do great and glorious things for the Lord. Acts 13 In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas to go and do the work of ministry elsewhere. And how does the church respond? They gathered them together and they prayed and they sought wisdom. And then they laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas and they sent them out. Colossians. The book of Colossians closes with Paul making an appeal to prayer for the church in Colossae. What does he ask them? To pray. Y'all pray that God may open doors for the word to be preached. Similar thing happens in 2 Thessalonians. At the close of 2 Thessalonians, Paul calls the church in Thessalonica to pray that the word would speed ahead and be honored. What do we do 
in light of these verses? What do we do in light of this expectation? We pray. We, y'all, us, we make our requests known to the Lord. We ask God to act in the name of the Son that the Father might be worshipped in the Son acting. We, Grace EV Free, we gather together corporately in small groups and large groups and we pray making our requests known to God knowing that as we do so he is capable and he is willing to do beyond what we ask and beyond what we can even imagine. So this is the expectation. We pray. We gather together and we make our requests known together in prayer. But what happens when we do this? What happens when we make our requests known to God as an us? There are a myriad of benefits to prayer. And there are a myriad of benefits of praying together. What happens when we do this specific type of prayer and we do it together? Three benefits, three consequences of leaning into this expectation that I'd like for us to see. The first, asking together unites us in purpose. Asking together unites us in purpose. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Just move a few books over. Or one book over. Acts chapter 4. All right, verses 29 and 31. Follow along with me, please. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Here we get a glimpse into an incredibly tense and an incredibly worshipful moment for the early church. Peter and John had just been scolded by the Jewish leaders and ordered not to continue preaching about Jesus. It was a scary time. How did the church respond? By gathering together and praying, making its requests known for boldness. Verse 29 makes this specific. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What was the result? The place was shaken. And after that, they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. The church prayed. And as they prayed, it was as if they were collectively aligned together on what really mattered. This is what happens when the church asks together. 
God takes the invisible reality that we are one together in Christ. That's what happens as a result of the gospel. We become one and he takes that invisible reality and he makes it visible. As we pray, we feel that we are coming together as one. This is what happens in prayer. We're united in purpose and we feel the reality that we are one. David Mathis puts it this way. So praying together is both an effect of the unity we share in Christ and it is a cause for deeper and richer unity. It's not only a sign that unity already exists among the brothers, but also a catalyst for more. Do you desire unity here at Grace? Do you desire that we would be one in all of our diversity, in all of our uh, socioeconomic diversity, in all of our racial diversity, in all of the diversity that exists here in this particular body? Do you desire that we would be one? One of the key ways that we become one in a very real and meaningful and felt way is that we pray, making our requests known to the Father in the name of the Son. This is how that is worked out in real life. But praying together doesn't merely unite us together. It unites us together in purpose. When the church came together as one and made requests, they didn't just leave thinking, hey, isn't it great that we're one? Isn't it great that that we can go off feeling united in the midst of all of these hard things? No, they were united together in purpose. They left with the name. The place was shaken. And then they went out filled with the Spirit and preached the Word of God together. And the Word of God advanced. Every year, our student ministry volunteer leaders and staff, we go on a leader retreat. It's always a highlight of my year. And the highlight of that leader retreat is always on Saturday night, we gather together and pray for a couple of hours. And it's just a beautiful time. We pray for families, we pray for needs, we pray for particular students, uh, all sorts of stuff. And uh, every year when we leave, not only do we leave experiencing more gospel unity amongst our group. That's just something that happens and we feel buoyed and together and and more like we are one, but we go out being united in the vision of the student ministry to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. At Grace, we have a vision It comes from Colossians 1. We desire to present everyone mature in Christ. And so we seek to be a gospel proclaiming, equipping, nurturing, and sending church transformed by the redeeming work of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That vision to present everyone mature in Christ is like a bullseye that we as a church are seeking to hit. What happens when we gather together and we pray corporately together as an us, making our requests known to the Lord, it is as if the Lord aims the collective bow of grace to aim at that bullseye so that we might be enabled to hit the target together. This is what praying together does. It unites us together in purpose and then it enables us to actually go and be the hands and feet of Jesus and accomplish the mission of the church to make disciples to the praise and glory of Jesus. So this is 
the first benefit consequence of embracing this expectation to ask together in prayer. A second, a second benefit is that asking together increases worship. Asking together increases worship. Flip over now to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. One of the beautiful things about asking together in prayer is that asking together is not merely an exercise. It's not something that just helps us at, at a meditative level uh, where we just feel better and feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. No, the Lord hears our prayers and he responds to our prayers. The very act of praying together and asking together is a profoundly worshipful thing where we rightly recognize who we are and rightly recognize who God is. But then, as we pray, God responds and worship increases. See this in 2 Corinthians 1. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so what we see here is, is that worship increases as we pray together, making our requests known. How so? Every request that is made by the gathered church will be responded with either a yes or a no. It might be a delayed yes, it might be a delayed no, but, but in one way or another, God will respond with either a yes or a no. And both of these answers give the church gathered reason to worship. If God answers yes to a request, then we have a situation like 2 Corinthians 1.11 on our hands. So in Grace Group, we have a family who is in financial need. A husband lost his job or, or a student uh, is, is in great need because they're trying to balance school and work and all these other things. And together we, we link arms and we pray and we make this request known as an us to the Lord. And the Lord provides. He provides a job. He provides a new housing situation. Whatever it may be, that gives us opportunity as an us to collectively worship God as we see his character on display and his mighty action being worked out in our midst. Every year, our student ministry goes to Hume Lake. And part of Hume Lake is our leaders gathering together and praying for students during the midst of that week of camp. And over the years, we've seen so many wonderful things happen as a result of prayer. God answers prayers. A couple of years ago, though, I remember us being particularly burdened for one student who we didn't think knew the Lord. And it just became more and more clear throughout the week that they didn't get the gospel and, and their actions were, were indicative of that. Talking with their parents, the parents didn't think they got the gospel and so we prayed earnestly for this student over and over and over again. And sure enough, by the end of the week, that student uh, trusted Christ, made a profession of faith, one that we thought was real and one that is 
uh, been demonstrated as real in the years since and has blessed me over and over again. But us gathering together and praying and making this request known to the Lord and then seeing the Lord answer that prayer resulted in multiplied worship. It enabled all of us to come together and see that our God is mighty to save and to listen to the prayers of his saints and to act beyond what we can imagine or even ask. And so multiplied worship is the result. And so we make requests known to the Lord so that he might say yes, as he often does, and so that worship can abound in this community, that thanksgiving can increase. But, on the other hand, God can and does answer no to our corporate us request. Or he might answer no for a season, only eventually to give way to a yes, but the reality is is that sometimes it is no. Even the no's give us an opportunity to worship God. Because we ask together. When we receive a no, we have the opportunity together to wait for the Lord. Together, we get to hope in God and trust in God, even in the midst of the no. When the no's occur, we can remind each other of the character of God, that he is steadfast, that he is good, that he is wise. Over the years, we have prayed for people to be healed, and it hasn't happened. And this has become an opportunity for us to gather together and to hope in God together and trust in God together. And the result has been greater faith, greater, greater steadfastness, and ultimately worship in our community. Jonathan Edwards talks about this and says that, that this is often a way that God acts, not only to strengthen our faith, but when he eventually answers yes, to produce more joy and enthusiasm and zeal, ultimately worship abounds sometimes through the delayed yes. Of course, we want every answer to our request to be yes, but God in his goodness will sometimes say no. The community act of embracing God's good and perfect plan and seeking his face still, continuing to act, results in praise and glory to God. Worship abounds when we gather together as in us and make our requests known to the Lord. Finally, there are many, many benefits to asking together in prayer. I want to focus on one final benefit. And to do this, we need to circle back to John 14, verses 12 through 14. Remember, Jesus said, That because he is going away through our prayers, he will do even greater things through us than he did during his earthly ministry. Well, what sort of great things are in mind here? When we look at this passage in context, it's important to recognize that Jesus has just stated very clearly something very central about his identity. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. In this chapter, John 14, Jesus is saying, I am the truth of God. I explain God. I exegete God. And I alone am the way to everlasting life in and with God. In John 14, salvation is in view. 
And so I think it wise as we come to John 14 verses 12 through 14 to recognize that salvation is probably in mind as well. That's not to say that John 14, 12 through 14 doesn't deal with other things that could be requested, but I think salvation should be on our mind. And so what does it mean that we will do greater things than Jesus where salvation is concerned? This certainly doesn't mean that we're going to go and save people as if we are somehow sufficient to do that, as if there is somehow power in us to bring life to the lost and to the dead. No. What this is saying is is that God is going to lovingly, lovingly use us as he distributes his salvation far and wide to a lost and dying world. How is he going to do this? The answer John 14 gives brings us back to asking together. We ask the Father in the name of the Son, to the praise of the Son, in the power of the Spirit to save, to redeem, to restore, to reconcile, to make new. And God is faithful to answer that prayer. And so I think John 14, 12 through 14 becomes a call for us, the global church and us, the the local church, Grace CV Free, to pray big and impossible prayers of God, asking for his salvation to be brought to this earth. Prayers that ask for God to bring about revival on this earth to the praise of the Lamb. Megan Hill, it's an author, wrote this. In 1858, God poured out his spirit in an extraordinary measure. First in New York, then throughout the United States. This revival was the occasion of the strengthening of churches and the conversion of many thousands of souls. It affected people of all ages, races, socioeconomic conditions, and church denominations. It was so widely felt that even the secular newspapers of the time published regular reports of it. And it began at a prayer meeting attended by seven people. In his first-hand account of the spiritual events of that year, the minister Samuel Prime wrote, this revival is to be remembered through all the coming ages as simply an answer to prayer. Megan Hill wrote this incredible book called Praying Together. I commend it to you. It's really good stuff. And in that book, she has a chapter on revival where she talks about this revival that occurred starting in 1858. It started with seven businessmen who met during their lunch hour and prayed. And before too long, it resulted in over one million people trusting in Christ in the United States, where there was a population at the time of 30 million people. This was a far-reaching revival. And it started with prayer. It was attributed to prayer. Megan Hill goes on to talk about other major movements that resulted in mass salvations that have occurred in our world. And in every instance, she points out how prayer is what moved these things along. It played a pivotal role in these revivals taking place. Prayer isn't magic. It's not something that we add to a cauldron along with other ingredients to to twist God's arm or to, to produce the exact outcome that we desire. 
Still, I've heard it said over and over again that no great movement of God to save has ever occurred apart from prayer. That's probably true. If you go back and you look at pastors who've experienced revivals in their churches or in their communities, they say that prayer played a pivotal role. If you look at the major mission movements that have happened in our world, then you see that prayer played a pivotal role. If you look at the foundation of the the major mission organizations, then you see that prayer played a pivotal role. Over and over again, God's people have gathered together and they have asked together and made requests together. And as a result, God has demonstrated himself as mighty to save, to do far more than we can ask or even imagine. Here at Grace, we long to be a place that sees God pour out his salvation. Here in our walls, in our community, and the world at large, we want to see souls saved. Our longing must now result in faithful corporate prayer being made for the gospel to go out and for the world, uh, for the word to speed ahead and be honored. We have seen the pattern in scripture. We know that God sovereignly acts to save, but we see that he sovereignly acts through the prayers of his church. So will we pray? Will we seek to be obedient? Will we lean into this expectation? The reality is that in the Western church, grace included, And I am uh, most implicated in this. In the church, prayer gatherings are often the least attended gathering that happens in a church. This ought to grieve us. It ought to grieve us because it shows that Satan has effectively pulled the, the curtain over us and blinded us to the need for God's people to gather together and pray bold and great prayers that God might act. Here at Grace, we are seeking to set a new course in this season. A course where we gather together and we pray. Where we repent together in prayer. Where we hunger and yearn for God together in prayer. Together. Where we offer thanksgiving together in prayer. And where we make our requests known to God together in prayer. One of the key places this is going to be happening in this upcoming season of grace is at House of Prayer. Uh, On the second Sunday of each month during third service, we're going to gather together upstairs in the youth room to pray. And in the coming months, we're going to pray for students who are going to school or going off to school, for teachers who have a very important battlefield that they are going to be uh, encouraged in their faith and they, they might be light in these different venues We're going to pray for Grace Partners. We're going to pray for local and global gospel proclamation. We're going to pray for the poor, the needy, and the hurting, and so much more. What would it be like if we, as a church, if us, if we prioritize this gathering together and making our requests known to God? I wonder how worship might abound I wonder how we might become united. I wonder how many people might be saved through that act. So I want to ask you, prioritize this corporate coming together and asking of the Lord. 
Of course, this is to happen in many places. We, we, we hope and pray, I hope and pray that this happens in homes with husbands and wives and children. I hope this happens with roommates and housemates. I hope that this happens in our grace groups, in our small group gatherings, in our accountability groups, amongst our elders and our deacons and our trustees and all of the different groups that meet here at Grace, uh, in, our, in our gathered assembly like we're in this morning, but also in this house of prayer. Let us prioritize coming together and asking in the name of Jesus, to the praise of Jesus, so that God may demonstrate himself as able and willing to do far beyond what we can either ask or imagine. Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Lord, prayer is such a privilege. To be able to come to you now in Jesus' name is the most incredible gift. And yet, Lord, it's something that's often forgotten. It's often neglected. And Lord, we uh, pray that that would not be the case in our midst that we would be a people who make our requests known to you so that we might see you act. Lord, we long for you to not act in spite of us, but through us where we get to participate in the good things that you're doing. So Lord, please affect us. Cause us to worship you and be obedient to the things that you've called us to. Give us a huge picture of Jesus that compels us to worship him day in and day out. Lord, would you help us? Lord, help us to pray and make our requests known to you and help us to do this as a church united to the praise of your glorious grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.